Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 119. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. Chat, before iMessage, before FaceTime, perhaps even before email, there's this thing called a letter. Thing comes in the mail, uh, and I don't mean junk mail, but an actual handwritten letter. And if you can imagine that time, there was even a specific type of letter, uh, one that you would have run to the mailbox to get and held on to, a love letter. I won't ask how many here this morning have received a love letter or perhaps sent one. Some of you are probably going, what's a letter? What, what is that? Well, I won't belabor this, but, but just thinking this through with me if you would. Um, perhaps there's somebody important in your life that you've met. Perhaps they're a boyfriend or girlfriend, could be a husband or a wife, somebody you love, or maybe somebody you really, really, really like. They've, they're apart from you for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe you met them once and you've developed a beginning of a relationship Maybe you've been married a long time. Either way, you're separated by some distance. And again, I know this is hard to imagine in today's electronic instant communication age, but this letter would show up in the mailbox and you would get it and you would read it. And this letter would communicate love in a very unique and special way that the two of you understand. It would communicate devotion. It would communicate the state of your relationship, wherever it might be. And it would also communicate a, a, a longing to see each other again. Now, we all understand, perhaps, you, even if you haven't done that, you can imagine it. Maybe you've seen a Nicholas Sparks movie. I don't know. Um, but then you got this letter, right? And you don't probably throw it in the trash. You maybe put it in a little box or wrap a ribbon around it or somehow save it. And maybe from time to time you, you take it out. Maybe it's got a little cologne or perfume on it and you smell it. You cherish this letter. You love this letter. It's not that you anyway love it more than the person that sent it, but you love this letter. All right, so that's the analogy. We, we, we look at this text before us and we see a beginning of God's steadfast love producing his love letter to us. 
And an appropriate response is to love his word. This morning, uh, we're uh, back in our Psalm 119 series that we're doing uh, over the summer. I'm not going to preach on all of Psalm 119 again. It's just these eight verses, so you're okay. Um, We're splitting this up over uh, this summer and the next two summers. We're just taking eight stanzas and and thinking through them together. Uh, The psalm itself has consisted, if if this is the first time you've you've run into Psalm 119, it consists of 22 stanzas. Each are eight verses long. They're built around a poetic acrostic of each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Today, we're on uh, the letter W, or WA, as it might be pronounced, perhaps WOW, depending on the Hebrew scholar that you speak with. Uh, So letter W, fine. It's uh, an English equivalent might be the letter, or excuse me, the word AND, as a connecting, connecting word doesn't have to be, but um, so we're going to um, dive in here, and let me get to my big idea. Um, what, what sort of ties this, this section together? God's true word answers taunts and brings freedom. God's true word answers taunts and brings freedom. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Dear Father, uh, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful that we can look at it anytime. Help us this morning as we think about this section. Would your, would your spirit guide our time together? Would you bring this word alive to us? And, and most importantly, Father, would you, would you send us away different than we arrived this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I've got really two main points to this, to this psalm, this section of 119. Uh, we're going to talk about trusting in God's truth and the ability that that trust enables us to answer the world's taunts. And then we're going to talk about seeking God's word results in freedom. Two kind of main ideas that I'm, I'm getting out of this, this section. Forgive me, I've... You know, the verses, because it's poetic, they don't exactly fit nicely together in this section. So we're going to be bouncing around just a little bit. I'll try to keep that to a minimum. Um, but the first point this, this, uh, this morning, and trusting in God's truth answers the world's taunts. Verses uh, 41 to 43, and then we're going to pull in 46. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. As we begin this section... I guess even, I have to intro this point a little bit, we, we see a, a striking a note here. The psalmist runs to God's steadfast love. This is the first time we get a, 
a mention of this steadfast love, this, which, which really kind of brings up a covenantal sort of love, a eternal love, the, the love of God has for his, his chosen people. Um, we see here even in this section that he, it's not just a love, but it's a source of a promised salvation. The psalmist is, is very much struck by this. We're going to come at, at the very end. He, he kind of wraps this together. But I, 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 wanna, I think it's important to understand that this whole section is really couched inside of God's love for us. A saving love. An eternal love. One that we can't break. He goes on uh, and, and gets into this this uh, idea of taunts. As, and, and I would say as we trust in God's word, uh, we can answer the taunts of the world. As I think about taunts, being taunted, uh, my mind instantly goes to Jesus' uh, tempting, taunting by Satan. The beginning of his ministry, uh, it, it recorded in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, uh, we see this exchange between Jesus and Satan. It's a very unique, interesting exchange. The context for it, of course, is Jesus has been out in the desert fasting. He's been spending time with God, but being, being apart, being away. He's very hungry, though, when he, sh- he shows up and, and he and Satan begin to have a conversation. Of course, Satan begins with saying, hey, you know, I recognize you're hungry. Here's a, here's a rock. Why don't you go ahead and turn this stone into bread? You know, you'd be able to eat it. Jesus responds, of course, man can't live by bread alone. He goes on, Satan, to say, hey, you know what, Jesus? All you need to do is worship me and you can have everything. And Jesus responds, we're called to worship God alone. Finally, Satan brings him up to a very high place and says, hey, you know what? Why don't you jump off this and we'll get a chance to see God's amazing power at work. He's going to send angels. You know he will. In fact, Satan, even in this, at this point, now Satan is quoting scripture himself. By the way, don't don't think that Satan doesn't know the Bible. He quotes scripture to Jesus. Says, hey, your angels are going to save you. And Jesus again says, don't, don't test God. Now, you might think from the reading, it's like, well, Jesus, you're quick on your feet. This is great. You got these responses. They seem maybe slightly cryptic, but they're, you know, they, they seem to answer the, the bell. Now, if you go look, Closely, though, what Jesus is actually doing here, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. In fact, he's quoting from only from two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 6. Roughly, if you add it up, Deuteronomy 6 and 8, you get about 50 verses between the two of them. Sometimes we think, you know what, I don't know enough scripture uh, to answer anybody, much less if I was confronted by Satan. To me, it's striking here that Jesus has two chapters. I'm sure he knows more, right? But he's got two chapters of the Bible, and that's all he needs to, talk, to answer Satan. And Satan, of course, runs away, and Jesus is comforted. 
I think this is a clear example, though, of, of the ability that the Word has to, to answer specific temptations, taunts. And even as, think about that Satan is, you know, holding this little rock in front of him. Jesus is, he's hungry. I mean, it's not just Satan tempting him, it's his stomach. Okay. So that's, a, that's one uh, picture of, of Jesus being taunted, uh, of course, by Satan. Fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry. So that's kind of the beginning. At the end, we have Jesus brought up before Herod and Pilate, right? He's charged, and then he's, he's marched off. And we get to Matthew 27, and it's, he, he begins to be mocked by soldiers. And then he's mocked by priests. He's mocked by the other two guys on the cross. This whole section, Matthew 27, runs through this litany of, of mocking, the crown of thorns, the beatings. What's interesting here is that Jesus is silent, the whole chapter. If you turn on your red letters of that section, you would see it all black till the very end. It's, Jesus is not talking at all here. Until you get to the, the, the striking, you know, one of the more famous things he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? At the end of Matthew 27. Of course, he's not just expressing an emotion, which he is, but it's not just that. He's actually quoting Psalm 22. How does Psalm 22 answer this taunt, this mocking by those around him? Well, of course, the first section is um, uh, this, this idea of how bad he feels, how far away from God he feels. But the second half of Psalm 22 is very much about, hey, celebrate, worship the Lord. And it ends with, he has done it, proclaiming God's victory. This morning, maybe you don't know about Jesus this Jesus that went to the cross to save sinners. Why did he do that? He, he did that to pay a price for our sin. If you don't know about Jesus this morning, I encourage you to trust in him and allow him to cover your sin. So we see mocking by Satan, taunting by Satan. We see taunting by those around us. What about answering kings? This morning, earlier Elliot opened our, our service with a section from, from Matthew, and, and it alluded to Jesus speaking that we would have the words to speak when we're in front of authorities. Well, at the beginning of the disciples' ministry in Acts, in Acts 4, we get this interesting scene. They're hauled up in front of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin asked them, hey, are you guys talking about Jesus? That's, that's, not, what, that's not what he said. They said, we know somebody that says that. They said, he said, they said, uh, are you guys talking about Jesus again? Stop it. Right? Well, how do they respond? How do they respond to this, 
to these kings. It's sort of a taunt, and it's also this kind of, how do you speak to somebody in authority? Well, we're, we're told here that the Holy Spirit leads them. Among other things, though, they quote the psalm just before Psalm 119. They quote, quote Psalm 118. And they say, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Emphasizing, of course, Jesus' significant role. And, and even that while as leaders of the Jewish faith, they should have known better about Jesus. In fact, he's a stumbling block for them. What taunts do we faith as Christians? Where, do our, where does our mocking come from? seems to me that the world, the flesh, and Satan make up the things that tempt, taunt, and mock us. We've looked at the, the world. We've looked at Satan. If you want to look more at flesh, you know, homework for you. If, you. if you run through James 1, he dissects very, very carefully the process that flesh, the, the temptation of the flesh and leads to sin. I think we're taunted um, by things we don't have. By greed, we want more. We're not happy. We're discontent. Questions sometimes run through our minds. Is God real? Is heaven real? Is the Christian walk worth it? Maybe we should just give in. I think we also wonder sometimes, do we take God's word as truth. Message this morning of Psalm 119 is that trusting in God's truth does indeed answer the taunts of this world. Second point. I want to look at verses 44 and 45 here. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place where I have sought your precepts. Second point is seeking God's word results in freedom. Seeking God, God's word results in freedom. I want to throw out a quick sort of trivial example for you um, and then think through, okay, what does this freedom, freedom look like for us? So if you think about the eighth commandment, the one that says don't steal, you might think, okay, well, how does that, what does that have to do with freedom? Well, again, a little bit of a silly example here, but I'm going to tell you, if you don't steal, um, that's you know, the commandment, don't, do not steal. Stealing, of course, will ultimately lead to you being caught and put in jail, put in prison. Not stealing will keep you out of jail and therefore maintain your freedom. God's Word is a protection for us. Okay, as we think through what sorts of freedom do we have from the Word, what, let's go a little bit deeper. First thing that came to my mind is one of Jesus' famous quotes, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. We see this even as verse 41 refers to salvation and verse 43 pulls in this word of truth, and 45, 
Verse 45 actually talks about in ESV a wide place. Wide place can also be translated, if you happen to have an NIV, it'll say freedom. It can also be liberty. This idea of an open space at which to, to sort of exercise your freedom. And we, we think about Jesus' statement here, which is from John 8. What is this freedom? What's he talking about? What kind of freedom do we have? Well, it's freedom from sin, I think, if we look at it. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, Listen how this how these even tie together. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I, I think it's more than just freedom from sin. It's a freedom to live an abundant life that Jesus talks about. How else are we free? Well, I think freedom that the word brings is a, a freedom of guilt and condemnation. If you remember in our series in Romans, back in Romans 8, Paul makes a statement, pretty bold, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Wow. Free from condemnation. Free from guilt. That's, that, that relieves. That freedom relieves. So that's freedom from sin, freedom from, from guilt, condemnation, sort of a freedom from negative things. What about, what about our everyday life? What sort of freedoms maybe do we, can we see? Well, I think we have a freedom not to worry. I could have said freedom to not be anxious. I mean, some of us are perhaps more prone to anxiety. But, here, but I think as, we, as, you, as you look at Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, Jesus tells us not to be anxious. Paul goes further in Philippians 4 and gives us a, a promise. I encourage you to go read that that verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that talks about how presenting our, th- our, our thanks before God will lead ultimately to, to peace, to a lack of anxiety, and a peace that passes all understanding. What other freedom do we have? Well, I think we have freedom as believers to make decisions. God has given us authority. He's given us a mind. He's given us a a mind that's renewed. Romans 12 again from our series, Paul talks there about God's word transforms and renews our minds and allows us, provides discernment for us to make decisions that aren't, that could look different. Even different believers, different Christians could come to different decisions about areas that don't involve sin, don't, don't involve God's moral law. And it's a, it's, it's a glorious freedom to have. Finally, I could go on with freedoms, I think, uh, that we have from God's word. 
But there's a freedom in knowing that despite how difficult this world is right now, that God is going to put all things right. That he wins. Revelation 22 reminds us that he's coming back to restore all things. And there's, there's a distinct freedom in knowing that we worship a God who, who not just will win, but has won. Okay, so the word of God allows us to answer taunts and it gives us freedom. I think the last few verses here of some, the section of Psalm 119 really move into an application time for us. It might look, so, so as we read this carefully, it might look a little striking that this, the psalmist is making some statements that, that could be a little off-putting to you. You might read them and say, wow, if I have to do that, I guess I'm missing out. But I, I think a closer in, uh, look here will show us that he's, as he's done before earlier in Psalm 119, that these are very aspirational. They're, he's speaking into his life things he hopes and desires to be true, not just now, but in the future. And so I, I really think uh, the, these last few verses um, press us to ask God specifically to deepen our love and understanding of his word. Asking God to deepen, in our, uh, deepen our love and understanding of his word. Verse 47 and 48 read, for I, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up, my, lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Wanted to, to clean one thing up. I kind of brushed over because, you know, it didn't fit with the points here. But if we, if we go back to verse 44 for just a moment, you, you maybe thought, well, okay, I'm glad you skipped that one because, wow, that's, that's crazy. I will keep your law continually Forever and ever. Is it, raise your hands. Who's that true of? Just this morning? Keep, okay. Not me. So what do we do with this? How do we keep God's law, not just continually, but forever and ever? Well, the language here even suggests that, that this is a hopeful statement. I mean, this, I don't... There's no, no indication at all that this guy's claiming to be without sin or that he's, he's, you know, he never messes up, and not just now, but forever and ever. It's this kind of extension. I think we're helped here again by Romans. Where in Romans 7, Paul says, likewise, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. As believers... In God's eyes, we have fully kept the law through Christ. That doesn't mean that we're like, okay, I've kept the law, I don't have to think about it anymore. No, that's why we have this, this psalm to remind us. It's not enough to, to simply have Christ covering the law, which is, is enough in a sense, but we're called to love his law, his commandments, his statutes, his word. And I think we're freed, in fact, to do it through Christ, that he's, he's covered us. We don't have to 
strain and to keep everything. We, there's, again, this freedom of knowing that, that Christ has, has met this, as we talked about before. Okay, so hopefully that's, I've allayed your fears there on keeping the law continually forever. Christ has kept it. He's kept it once. He's kept it forever. He's, he's advocating on our behalf in front of the Father. Something else just to notice here in, in uh, verses 47 48, just kind of this response, the psalmist's response to the word. And here we're really kind of going back to the, to the beginning uh, in verse 41 where we have God's love, his eternal covenantal love, filled with promise, filled with salvation. And then we get this response at the end, verse 48 where the psalmist delights in God's law, he loves God's law, he worships God's law, he loves God's law again, and he meditates on God's law. Notice he mentions love twice. He love, I mean, the, the, this particular translation has commandments. It could really could be, I think it just stands in for the whole law, whole word of God. He loves, loves God's word. It is interesting here, you're not going to find really too many places in the Bible where we're told loving God's word, his law, his commandments is uh, the call to us. You'll find in many places Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And we see plenty of places loving God is tied together with obedience. That's not what's happening here. It's, and it's, it's interesting to me because we think, well, you know, loving God's God's word, surely we're supposed to love God more, and I think, I think we are. Here, though, we're told to love God's actual word, his precious word. I think we can never know God's word or love God's word enough. These, and I think these, these uh, statements that the psalmist make I encourage you to, to take them as God's, when, when God is expressing, clearly he's, God's expressing a desire for our lives here, that, that we take that desire not as an impossible burden, but rather a promise. That God is promising us here that we will be able to do this through Christ, through his spirit enabling us. And that if this isn't, perhaps a desire of your heart even this moment to ask God for help. To ask God to deepen and strengthen the love that you have for him and his word. Okay. So what, what are some ways that we can deepen, we can whet our appetite for God's word. This, this section here, plenty of emphasis on the focus, the benefits of God word, God's word, okay. But the response of, of loving it. This is very convicting. Do I love God's word to the degree that's put on display here by this psalmist? I don't, I don't think so. We confessed earlier together that we all acknowledge that our love is not where it should be. So how do we, 
how do we deepen this? Okay, so I've got, I've got 10, 10 thoughts, 10 ideas for, for you, um, sort of ranging all over the place. And I don't think it matters this morning, perhaps you've been a Christian all your life, you've read God's Word every morning, or you're new to the faith, and you're not sure what this whole thing is about. I think this, this applies to all of us. First, first recommendation, first thought. Ask God, pray for a deeper love for his word. Philippians 1.9 talks about asking that the, the, the love would deepen. That, that Paul is praying that the Philippians' love would deepen. And I think it's deepening for all sorts of things, but certainly for God's truth. This is, a, this is a prayer God would love to answer, will answer. So begin with asking God for help, asking for his spirit to help. All right, another thought. Meet, grab two or three other people to go through a book, perhaps a book of the Bible or a book that talks about the Bible, just to begin conversation with other people. What are some ways that you love the word? Tell, let's, let's think about the word together. Another recommendation. Stephen, you're going to love this. Talk to Stephen afterwards. Join a community group. Um, Stephen can, can get you connected with a group in your neighborhood. Um, the benefit of that is that it really gives you a chance to interact with other folks about God's word. Often... It will be about the sermon. But it could be, you know, whatever, whatever you're going through. Just a chance that it, it, you can hear other people's perspectives. You can share your own reaction in a way that's just a smaller environment. Okay. Another, another uh, this little late. Should have maybe led with this one, but that's okay. Uh, here's another suggestion. Consider. Take notes during the sermon. Why? Well, I mean, this, some, some are note-takers, some it's a distraction, I, I understand. It can, though, help to sort of focus your mind on what are we talking about? What, that, what did that guy just say? How does this relate to me? What, this, this, what does this Bible even, what does this verse even mean? Another suggestion. Memorize a passage. Pick a, pick a, a verse of the Bible. Okay, Jesus wept. There, I did it. Verse of the Bible. But I think as you, as you do challenge yourself to, uh, to pick up a piece, a, a verse, maybe a, pretty soon you'll have strung a few verses together. Remember, Jesus only needed about 50 verses to combat Satan, right? So, I mean... I'm sure he knew more again, but I think memorizing, memorizing passages of the Bible, helpful. Another idea. I know it's July. It's hot. Usually this would be a you know, January New Year's resolution. But how about this? Start a Bible reading plan, even now. Like, we've, you know, we started it maybe in January, maybe a year ago in January, and like, Oh, that thing, I haven't done it. 
here's a suggestion. Start one now. Maybe just, I mean, there's the whole Bible. I understand. That's good to read the whole Bible. Just start reading, a, pick a book and read that. And while you're at it, another suggestion. Pick a, a book or, okay, a chapter of a book. And think deeply on it while you're sitting on a beach, in a beach chair with the waves coming in. Like, remind yourself, oh yeah, I'm... I'm I want to really each day spend a minute thinking about this chapter, this book of the Bible. Another suggestion. Ask a leader to help you understand a hard text and how it applies to you. Sometimes, you know, we all interact differently with the Bible. I think one, one way could be, I've run across this Bible passage, or maybe these two passages, they seem to contradict. I don't know how to put them together. Can somebody please help me? Key here is going to be first seeking out somebody that's, that's trustworthy, but also the, the last part. How does it, it, I'm going to suggest it's going to be more helpful if it's not just an academic exercise like, oh, I think I found the key, the upsetting all of Christianity by these two verses. If I can, you know, no, this is, how, I, these two verses seem to not go together. How can I understand them in a way that applies to my life? See, I'm jumping all around here. Lots of options here for you. Um, another, another thought, another idea. Every week we send out an email uh, that talks about what the upcoming service is going to be about. One little tidbit in there is going to be the passage uh, that we're going to preach on. So, Suggestion for you. Read that sermon passage before the sermon. Simple, simple concept. I think it's a way to begin to think about the text before you, you hear it preached on, before you hear it prayed about, before you hear it sung. Last idea, and I could go on here. Last idea that I've got. Ask a more mature Christian to meet with you to be discipled. Ask somebody on a regular, would you spend the next two months with me and maybe, maybe you know, I'll, whatever you suggest we'll go through, but just to, would you help me deepen my love and appreciation and appetite for God's word? Psalm 119, verse 41 and 48, I think, challenges us to love God's word more deeply. It encourages us that trusting in this word will enable us to answer the taunts of the world, the taunts of Satan, the taunts of the flesh. And that seeking God's word brings an enormous freedom into our lives. God wants nothing more than for us to seek him and to love his word. Would you pray with me?